Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Business of Fitness podcast with me, Molly Herford. We are part of the Feisty Media Network. I'm so excited to be back in the uh, quote unquote studio here. And today I'm recording a solo episode. I'm going to do these every few months, just sort of as check ins, kind of what I'm thinking about these days, uh, what I've been working on. And you know, I, I keep hearing good feedback about when I do the solo episodes. So uh, definitely let me know, is that something you enjoy? Are there topics you want to hear me talk about? Um, you know, I get to talk to so many people. And as I'm doing these podcasts, as I'm recording new ones, as I'm interviewing new people, I am coming up with different ideas for my own business, um, you know, kind of figuring out new approaches. And between my husband and I, even though this is a podcast that we're focusing on women, but just to kind of uh, give a bit of context between my husband and I, uh, he's a cycling coach. And obviously, I'm sort of this multi hyphenate uh, author, journalist, podcaster. Uh, I do a you know a little bit of yoga teaching, a little bit of helping out with the coaching side of things, um, just kind of all over the place. And of course, now I have Strong Girl Publishing, which is the episode, my last solo episode, where I talked about kind of getting that new business off the ground. So we're sort of hitting a lot of different areas in the fitness world. And I will say Peter, my husband, uh, also coaches in person and online. We also have our joint podcast, the Consummate Athlete Podcast, that's sort of uh, connected to his coaching company. So we are doing a lot of different things within the fitness space. We both also race. We both have you know been the sponsored athlete, been the elite athlete. Uh, that's not really what a lot of our life is about now, but we both are still quite serious about our training and racing. Uh, so if you're new to the show, that's a little bit about uh, you know who I am and what my life looks like. Um, but I wanted to bring that up because I think it just kind of uh, goes to when I'm talking to all of these different people, I am thinking like every person that I have on this show has something of relevance to me, whether it's talking about product and creating new product. Uh, you know, I do a lot of stuff with the within the publishing and journalism space because that's what I love chatting about. And of course, you know, we're talking to tons of different coaches and studio owners and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so, you know, a lot of it does sort of relate to me and I do end up kind of taking little bits and pieces from each person and kind of putting it into my own life and sort of testing all of these tips from them to kind of see what what works and what doesn't. So with that said, I also wanted to hop on the mic solo because, uh, you know, when I am talking to different entrepreneurs, different experts, different uh, people in the fitness industry, we're often talking more general, more global about their business, about their brand. We're not necessarily talking about the specific time of year, but uh, I thought it was very important to get on the mic today to talk about the different time of year, uh, specifically because we are heading into Q4. In fact, we are in Q4 of the year. So for those of you with product-based business or coaching businesses, if you're kind of thinking about your bottom line of the year, if you had a goal that you're trying to meet, this is the last quarter to do it. Now, it's also, you know, we're only at the end of September now. Uh, oh my gosh, how are we at the end of September? It seems like this month has just flown a by. Uh, I'm recording this, you know, a few days ahead of when it's going to be published. But yeah, we're going to be at the end of September. Holy moly. Uh, which means there's only like a month and a half before the holiday rush really kicks off. And whether you are a coach, whether you are a product-based business person, uh, if you have an online course, if you have actual, you know, stuff that you're making, um, it's time to start thinking about the holidays. And thinking about the holidays could be oh my gosh, I know it's going to be just absolutely bananas 
for the last six weeks of the year. So I should really make sure that I take some time in, you know, this end of September, early October to catch my breath, take a beat, uh, just, you know, have a little bit of free time before things go wild, or it's time to start thinking about, okay, things are going to be wild. Uh, It's, you know, time to start getting my stuff stocked and time to think about what freebies I'm doing and what, markdowns I'm going to do and am I going to indulge in Black Friday or am I going to do more of like REI's opt outside kind of situation you know really thinking through these promos and you know we tend to think of times like Black Friday and the holiday shopping season as times that are much more product based Uh, but I actually don't think that's true I think there's a ton of ways that really any small business uh, like you know coaching and stuff like that there are so many offerings that you can come up with that are actually you know purchasable during that season especially remembering uh you know it's it's kind of a horrible thing to say but realistically uh most of us that shop on black friday or like that week where there's tons of sales uh let's be honest we're shopping partially to get our christmas shopping done but we're also shopping for ourselves uh, so if you can run some specials on coaching, you know, specials on bike fits, that kind of stuff, people are going to snap those up. Uh, you can also be thinking about gift cards. Uh, you know, if you're a coach, a bike fitter, a yoga studio, you know, how can you, you know, get your current clientele to basically act as not just a referral service, but basically pay you to bring their friends along for the ride? Uh, that's sort of a win-win-win. Uh, so definitely be thinking about all the different ways that you can make this holiday season really work for you. And don't forget to figure out where that downtime for you is going to come from, especially if this is a side hustle for you. If you're still racing pretty seriously, uh, just, you know, make sure you give your, you know, if you have a family, if you have like other jobs that you're doing, uh, just really make sure that you're carving out chunks of time for yourself and putting that on the calendar. Um, so that's just kind of my cue for a reminder time to hit those Look back to those New Year's resolutions. Uh, if you were with us at Outspoken last year with the Feisty Media crew, uh, you probably set a lot of goals for the 2023 season. So go back, check them. Are there any that you know you haven't met yet? And if so, are there any that you could meet in the next couple of months if you you know, hustle a little bit, or even just, you know, you might even realize, oh, I already hit these. Maybe I can try to, you know, 10% more, 15% more, heck, 2% more. Uh, so really be thinking about all of that stuff and definitely do not leave the holiday stuff. And you know what I mean by stuff? I mean, like all of the packaging, all of the the little things that are going to make life so much more annoying around the holiday season if you don't have it all figured out. Uh, I'll talk about it later, but I'm, you know, in the process of mailing out some pre-order books right now. I know I'm going to be doing some more mailings around the holiday season. So for me, making sure that I'm stocked up on butcher paper and tape so I can actually wrap things and get them sent out as efficiently as possible has been a very important thing for me lately. And also just, you know, knowing that, okay, great, I'm going to be ready to go in November, December when we are shipping more stuff out. Okay, next, next big thing here is what can you work on more during your racing off season? So the other reason I decided to hop on the mic today is because I know a lot of you who listen are endurance athletes. And typically that means that by October, unless you're racing cyclocross or you have a couple late season gravel or mountain bike events, or, you know, maybe a couple triathlons or you're traveling somewhere warm for a race. But for the most part, October tends to signify the beginning of our athlete off season, which is you know, let's be honest, it's kind of sweet. It's pretty awesome to get that downtime. 
So I think the you know other question I want to pose isn't just about Q4 of the year. It's also when you are in your off season as an endurance athlete, what can you be working on more during this off season? Uh, you know, so this is the working on your business versus in your business. If you're gaining back, I mean, if you're normally training 10 hours a week and your off season means you're training three, you just gained seven hours back. So what can you do in those seven hours? And there's plenty of health-related things, obviously, and that's something I would talk about over on the Consummate Athlete Podcast, but we are the business of fitness podcast. So we are talking much more about, you know, the things you can be doing on your business. What should you get done? You know, what are sort of the long-term plan things you can do? What are sort of some of the big picture things? Does your website need an overhaul? Do you need to do some copywriting, some blogging? Uh, you know, maybe getting some newsletters queued up. Honestly, you know, use this offseason as a chance to get ahead too. Um, I love during my rest weeks or like light weeks, I really put a focus on, okay, can I do three weeks worth of blogs? And can I do, you know, a few different newsletters and get some social content banked and all of that stuff. Uh, social social content in, in particular is a great one to focus on in the offseason because, I don't know about all of you, but my biggest hurdle with social media is currently I spend most of my time either in, you know, sweatpants and pajamas or, you know, my running gear. It's pretty rare that I do my hair, do literally anything to my hair, do any kind of, you know, throw some mascara on, do anything like that. So I rarely feel camera ready with the exception of when I'm out on my runs or on my rides. Cause I have, you know, I'm perfectly happy to take a, a photo when I'm in the middle of doing an activity, but the rest of the day, I definitely get a little awkward in front of the camera because my hair is usually some kind of crazy rat's nest. Um, I'm, you know, again, wearing beat up sweatpants and it's just not really an Instagrammy video situation. Uh, so the off season is definitely a good chance for me to, uh, you know, put on some real pants and maybe a maybe a button down or, or something, and actually get some content made that uh, isn't just me in running clothes, uh, because I'll actually have the bandwidth to do that. So that's that's a pretty high priority for me right now, uh, or at least it will be at the end of October when my off season starts. Okay. Next topic. Uh, if you can tell from how I'm talking right now and the fact that I'm trying to remind myself to slow my roll, calm down, and take my time with this, I have been a little bit overwhelmed and overloaded with things lately. Uh, and part of that actually is my weapon and my favorite productivity tool, my number one app, uh, has kind of made my life feel a lot more claustrophobic and difficult lately. And I'm talking about Todoist. So I've talked about this. This is my first little episode. I talked about the tools that I use. And Todoist is my ride or die. It is where everything is stored. I don't know what I would do with myself if it, you know, went went away or I didn't have access to it for a day because it's where every single to-do item is living. So my training is in there, my, you know, every little social media account that I need to update and which days I need to do it is in there. Deadlines for articles that I'm writing, you know, stuff for Strong Girl Publishing, recording stuff like this, recording my other podcast, uh, and then all of my, you know, usual life stuff, dentist, doctor, you know, DW's groomer, whatever, whatever we have going on is all in Todoist. And I had a two issues here. One was I was throwing so much stuff onto it every day, uh, little things, big things, but I would wake up and 
I would have, you know, 35, 40 tasks just sitting there. Uh, And to see the number 40 next to your to-do list is definitely super, super stressful. Uh, And it would feel like I would end up really focusing on like, okay, what can I do quickly so I can get this list down to what feels like a manageable number. And that actually led to me really prioritizing the tiny unimportant things or, you know, they're important, but they're not as important as meeting my actual deadline on an article, Uh, you know, calling the dentist. Yes, it matters. Yes, it's important. But like, I should probably not waste my, especially morning, your best energy of the day. I was spending that best energy basically trying to like, you know, hit my to-do list with like a fire extinguisher and just really uh, make it get down to 15 or 16 to-do items. So that way I'd be like, whew, okay, everything's going to be okay in the afternoon. I can definitely knock these off. And the fact was I was finishing every day leaving some of the most important, most difficult things to get done, undone. Um, So I was actually like getting further and further behind, even though I was doing most of the tasks on the list, I was leaving the hard ones till later. So uh, I did a couple things. I sort of realized this on a long run. And uh, ironically, I added several to-dos to my to-doist a couple weekends ago to figure out how to redo the entire way that I looked at things and how I, you know, saw my free time. Um, I will say, you know, for some people, time blocking and using Google Calendar as their to-do list works really well. Um, I find that's really great if you are an appointment-oriented, meeting-oriented person. Uh, It's not so great if you have article deadlines and that kind of thing where you don't really know how long given tasks are going to take. So, you know, if I have an article for bicycling uh, that's, that's due today... That could be a 10-minute job because I've already kind of done a lot of the stuff on it, or it could be, you know, anywhere from 90 minutes to five hours, just completely depending on what that article is and like, how, you know, how much work I'm going to have to do on it. And often I'm not really sure. I can maybe judge it within like an hour, um, but if I'm kind of faking everything by like, well, it might take one hour, it might take three or, you know, two, that's not really that helpful for time blocking. So that's why that doesn't work for me. I know that can work really well for other people. But for me, the running to-do list on to-do list works really well because you can still, it's still very date-based. Uh, you can set all these recurring tasks, which is fantastic. Um, but it does not kind of confine you to times, although you can add times in and you can have them on your Google Calendar. So I have appointments that go from my Google Calendar to Todoist and vice versa, and that's very convenient. Um, but Todoist also has a lot of things that don't have times on them. So first thing I did with Todoist when I realized I was just getting so overwhelmed by just having this lengthy to-do list was... I actually looked through to try to find like things that were taking up several to-do items. So for me, the big one is social media. So, you know, to to be quite honest here, I do a lot of work with different companies with social media. So, you know, I have my personal one, obviously, then I have the consummate athlete one. I have this one uh, at business.of.fitness. Please follow us. Um, And I have Strong Girl Publishing. Uh, And I also have two other accounts that I work on for different companies. So all that to say, uh, that's, you know, six tasks. And that was most days, you know, some of them like business of fitness, I don't update every single day. So that was every, you know, two days that was showing up. Same with Strong Girl Publishing every two days. Um, But the result of that was, A, I had these 
you know, one day or everyday recurring items that were basically leapfrogging from day to day. Uh, so what that looked like is if on Monday, say I had to update all six uh, of my social media accounts, I would have six separate tasks. And as I checked them off, each of them would move to Tuesday. So on Monday, I would see that Tuesday only has, say, 10 tasks. Uh, but by the time I did all my stuff on Monday, uh, Tuesday suddenly had 16 tasks. So I had two issues here. One was just like I had so many different social things that were getting updated every day, even though I was doing them all at the same time. So I could just kind of tick them all off on the to-do list thing. Um, they had their own uh, separate items, which meant that uh, I was definitely prioritizing them to get them done because they're, again, those quick wins. Uh, but also, it was just making my list look so jammed and feel so stressful seeing that really high number of things do. So uh, what I did was instead of having it as recurring tasks every day, what I did was I actually went in and made a task for every Monday that said social media, these these accounts and listed which accounts needed to be updated on Monday. And then Tuesday got an every Tuesday, these like update these social media accounts. So basically same exact workload. It's not that I was changing how much work I was doing on them, but I was changing just how I felt about them, how they looked on my to-do list. Um, so that sounds really silly, but it made a huge difference. I did the same with my workouts. I had, you know, strength a couple of days a week, uh, a couple, you know, little like little mini strength sessions in addition to training. And uh, I used to actually have training and then updating my training log as two separate tasks. Now they're all just one task under training. And then again, I shifted that from being an everyday task to every Monday training plus, you know, uh, the Normatec boots. Tuesday is training plus, you know, strength training. Uh, so basically, I just tried to make it so that every day actually had the appropriate workout on it. And honestly, you know, every day now I look at my to-do list, so I'm opening it right now, uh, you know, where I used to have like anywhere from 30 to 40 tasks in a day, now I'm down to under 20 most days. Uh, and, you know, little stuff gets added, obviously, but definitely it's really helped me kind of feel a bit more like I'm actually able to focus on just a few tasks, even though I didn't actually take anything off my plate. I just sort of reframed how I was looking at it, how I was thinking about it. And I was kind of astonished at how relaxed I feel when I look at the list now. Um, and that's made me just so, so happy. Um, so I know that's really, really specific, but if you use any kind of task manager where you have recurring tasks, where you have like very granular broken down things, definitely take a look at it and see, is this actually serving you? Or is this just giving you the like high of checking off a lot of things on a to-do list? Because I know I was actually getting to a point where I was no longer really focused on what I was getting done. I was much more focused on what I could check off of the list. Um, so I'm sure I cannot possibly be the only one dealing with that. Uh, the other thing I have done, um, and I realize we are not a productivity podcast. I will say that. However, I do think a lot of these things are the much more kind of granular getting stuff done things that really help us spend time, again, working on the business rather than kind of trying to fight fires all the time. And I don't know, hopefully this, this helps give people a little bit more bandwidth to, to get things done. Uh, I will say, I don't think I could have written 
any of my books, let alone nine books at this point, uh, if it wasn't for having these systems in place. Um, and, you know, same for making time to get on Zooms with, you know, different NICA teams and talk to them and do all that kind of stuff. Uh, or even just remembering the email about doing those talks and everything. Um, I think, you know, when you're trying to get into any of these businesses, having a, a system at play, especially if you're working another job and this is sort of a, a project you're starting on the side, I think it's just so important. Uh, so, uh, the other thing that I've kind of been working on is uh, both making sure that in the morning I do take the time to, even though I have a to-do list, actually look at it and say, okay, what are the three things I should do this morning? And training often is one of them, but what are the other two things? That I've always done. I'm just trying to get a little bit more granular on it. Then the big shift that I made is in the afternoon, after I have lunch, when I sit back down at my desk... I have a tendency to be in like a pretty big afternoon slump. It's why I schedule all of my calls and podcasts in the afternoon because I will rally to interview someone, but I will not really rally very well to, you know, work on a book or work on an article. So I've found scheduling podcasts in the afternoon really helps, but also I've actually found just taking like five minutes in the afternoon and writing down my big three things to get done in the afternoon has made a world of difference for me. I'm so much more effective in the afternoon now that I'm actually giving myself three priorities. Um, and obviously, you know, you're doing all of these other things. And I tend to chafe against the the big three whenever someone says it. Like you can, you only have time in a day to do three tasks, or you know, three big tasks and two tiny tasks, or whatever. Uh, because I don't believe that that's realistic for. Uh, pretty much any of us. You'll notice the person giving that piece of advice tends to be a white guy, um, usually an executive with an assistant. Uh, most, <laughs> I'm assuming if you're listening to this, you're probably not in that category. If you are, I apologize. Um, but I'm going to say 99% of the time, that's a completely accurate thing. Um, so I think it's it's very easy to say that when you don't have a ton of other pulls on your life, um, or you're just willing to blank, you know, kind of blank out like, oh, right, training and family life and all of these other things. And you're just thinking about three things for your, you know, your business. But I just, I don't know. I don't see that as realistic. And I think it's a crappy bill of goods that we've been sold that all of us should be focusing only on the important, not urgent, or possibly the important and urgent stuff uh, and never taking time to deal with the urgent um, or, you know, just, oh my gosh, I can only do three things. Um, and if I'm doing more than that, then I'm not doing this productivity thing right. Absolutely not the case. Most of us are doing, you know, 20, 30, 40 things a day. Uh, don't worry about it. But it is good to, you know, kind of hone in on what are the couple things I need to get done in the morning. And then after lunch, what are the couple things that I need to get done in the afternoon? Uh, you know, figure out what what's absolutely the must do. Um, all right. So that's kind of my, my productivity thing. Uh, the next thing I wanted to talk about is AI. And we actually are going to be chatting a bit about that with a good friend of mine, Nicole Lower, who's coming on next episode to talk all about both sustainability and AI. I mean, oh my gosh. And all like all within the context of the fitness world, which is awesome. Uh, if you want to talk about a woman who has done so many things and just really seems to always kind of know what the next like zeit cultural zeitgeist is going to be, uh, this is Nicole. But uh, I've been thinking about AI a lot lately, obviously, as a writer, as a journalist. Uh, it's something that gets me 
a little bit stressy, a little bit nervous. I'm not going to lie. Um, you know, same with online coaching, any of that stuff. You just start kind of going down this rabbit hole of, oh my gosh, is my job going to look the same in a few years? And I mean, the answer is your job going to look the same? Probably not. Um, but is that necessarily a bad thing? Also, probably not. Um, so I'm really trying to uh, stop being really stressy about AI and actually use it on occasion. Um, I find I'm not really a huge chat GBT fan. However, there are a lot of really cool AI tools out there that are actually just like doing a thing for you. Uh, there's, you know, great transcription stuff now. And that's actually made a huge difference for me uh, as a writer. It's let me spend a lot more time focusing on uh, really honing the story that I'm working on and, uh, you know, not spending so many hours just sitting transcribing an interview. Um, because if you think about how long it used to take to transcribe an hour interview, it literally would take, you know, five to eight hours if you were going to do the full hour interview. Uh, now you can basically have AI go through it pretty quickly um, and you're going to have to go back and you're going to have to fix things. And it's not going to catch every word, especially when you're in sort of the health and wellness and fitness space. Um, but you can then, you know, scroll to wherever it was. You can listen to it. You can, you know, append the quote, fix it. So it actually is accurate. Um, but it saved you so much of the grunt work and lets you really focus on the message, the creativity, uh, actually writing something great, not just uh, spending all of your time being a machine transcribing words. Um, I mean, I remember back in my early days, the best money I ever spent was actually paying, you know, basically actual people to do transcriptions sometimes, uh, even though I was not making very much money at all. Uh, that was one of my most hated tasks, and it has gotten so much easier thanks to AI. Uh, so I do think we can look at this as a plus. I'm actually playing right now with some podcasting software that uses AI uh, with captions and video and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, I am trying to think a little bit in advance and a little bit not doom and gloomy, but I'm trying to think about like, okay, what is like the most pessimistic way that this could play out for me? And okay, what does that mean? What do I need to do to armor myself against that? Uh, there's a great book called Future Proof that's a really good kind of early discussion about this and kind of about honing skills that can't really be automated. So this is something I've been thinking about a lot. Um, and that means for me, you know, thinking about what's, okay, what's probably going to go away or po has potential for going away. And I do think writing quick hit news things or writing, you know, very basic press releases, stuff like that. Um, those easier writing jobs, those are probably going to look very different in a few years. And I have no interest in being uh, an editor for an AI bot that's spitting out news. That seems really counterintuitive to me. Um, but so I have no interest in doing that if that's the way the industry kind of shifts. And I sincerely hope not because I can go on a rant about this for a really long time about how you know journalism needs humans behind it, not bots. But anyway, uh, if that happens, okay, what's, you know, what can I do? You know, I, I don't think AI is going to be able to do in-depth interviews and features. That's just not really a thing. So I can do those. I can do those really well. Um, that's something I'm trying to do more and more of and, you know, a little less of the, the quick hit news. Um, and also I'm thinking towards video, which is something that, again, makes me sort of shudder as I was talking about before. It's, 
you know, very stressful for me to be on camera, especially in the context of, oh gosh, uh, when do I, when do I shower? When do I do my hair? When do we record? Um, but Peter and I are trying to do video now for the Consummate Athlete podcast, and it's not easy. Uh, it's way more time consuming. It's you know been really hard to figure out the setup. There's so many more software issues and so many more hardware issues, and you know it's very hard to make sure that everything is going right when you don't have a professional studio. So uh, when you're also the equipment manager, it's a tricky thing. But we're working on it. We're trying it. Um, and it's it's going well, you know, it's it's definitely a work in progress. It's hard to figure out how the best way to capture Zoom interviews and actually have the whole episode online or, you know, the whole video episode online is going to go. Um, but it's something we are trying to make sure that we're paying attention to because I don't think that, uh, you know, we want to let everything just kind of pass us by. And I know video and photo is just getting more and more important, especially as AI can do all of our little copywriting and stuff actually fairly well. Um, so trying to make sure that we're kind of staying ahead of that and, you know, seeing where everyone else is going. And right now, a lot of podcasts are shifting to a video format or adding a video format. So we're testing that. Um, definitely let me know if that's something you'd be interested in for this podcast. Um, I'm not quite ready to go there yet, to be totally honest, but it's certainly something we could explore in the future for sure. Um, and the other really cool thing that I have noticed lately is I think actually to the point of what I've been saying and hearing from a lot of you at Outspoken and, you know, knowing that so many of you are working several different jobs or coming at one topic from like a few different positions. As I said, I do a billion different things. My husband does coaching and he does in-person and online. He has the podcast with me. Um, we're very big on the multi-hyphenate lifestyle where you don't have one straight up job job anymore. Uh, and actually, I was listening to my good friend, Sonia Looney's podcast, The Sonia Looney Show, and she had Christina Wallace on talking about the portfolio life. And I have to tell you, this episode made me feel so seen uh, and just so so good about what I'm doing because often I get very down on myself about the fact that uh, if someone says, what do you do for, for work? I have to do a bit of a laundry list of all of the different things. Uh, and sometimes, sometimes that's fine. Sometimes people, you know, totally get it. Uh, but other times I definitely have felt like, oh, this isn't, this sounds weird. This doesn't sound normal. This sounds kind of like I'm like playing at all of these different things, but not taking any of them seriously, which is not the case. I take all of them very seriously. Uh, and, you know, it is how I've made a living my entire life. I've never done just one job and I don't, I sincerely don't think I could. Uh, I love being able to kind of toggle between different things. Um, but hearing that more and more people are living like this. And she talked about uh, instead of, you know, having a resume, you're kind of actually building this portfolio. And especially with things like AI coming into the picture, um, you know, the people like myself that are doing all of these different things and doing all these multimodal, uh, you know, learning new, new ways of doing things, figuring out this video thing, making AI actually work for you, uh, all that stuff, uh, you know, we're like the constantly growing and shifting in whatever field you're in, like that's actually hugely helpful these days. Uh, so for me, it's been 
about kind of honing where my my multi-hyphenate thing goes. And for me, it's a lot of like figuring out my my core philosophy and values is really helping people, you know, get more active and get more women into the fitness space. So, uh, you know, with the consummate athlete, we're targeting just more any athlete. So men, women, whoever, um, with this show, I'm trying to bring more women into the, the industry because I think we are sorely lacking in that. And I do think the change and getting more women into whether it's cycling or running or soccer or basketball or whatever sport, uh, I think change does start at the top. So the more women you have working in any given part of the industry, uh, the more girls you're going to bring in, the more women you're going to bring in. Uh, so bringing women to work here is really just helping get more and more women comfortable doing this stuff. Uh, and then obviously Strong Girl Publishing, all about getting girls into sport and, you know, secretly into reading. Um, and then obviously I write for a lot of publications about sport and all different kind of aspects of training and all that fun stuff. So it does all come to bringing more people into the, the fitness space with a, you know, focus on women and girls. And, you know, I, I think that that works. I'm pretty happy with that. Uh, but it was just really nice. I highly recommend going over to the Sonia Looney show and listening to that. Uh, Sonia's been on this podcast before. And actually, we did talk a lot about, uh, you know, doing the the multi-hyphenate thing when she and I chatted. So this was a really fun one to listen to. Uh, and one of the best piece of it, pieces of advice on it uh, was the idea of making a Venn diagram of all of your, your things. Uh, so, what you know, whether it's different businesses and your training and all and your life and, you know, different different family stuff, like all of the stuff, make a Venn diagram and see where it's overlapping. Uh, and often you're, you're going to find that most of it really does neatly overlap. And I mean, you may find there are a couple of things that don't overlap at all and hold, you know, don't actually hold interest for you. And maybe those are good reminders that, Hey, you can maybe take some of that stuff off of your plate. Um, although, uh, you know, flip side, the diverse portfolio uh, where you have a couple things that are completely unrelated. So I do have a couple, you know, for me, I have a couple projects that are completely outside of the fitness industry. Um, and I kind of love that. I think it's actually quite important to have a couple things that uh, are going on that aren't entirely related to this space. Um, although they are still kind of tangentially related because they are sort of uh, attached to business. But anyway, um, last thing I wanted to touch on for this solo episode is Strong Girl Publishing. So this is the business that I started uh, back in May. It's based on the idea that uh, I want to bring more young women into sport. And I want to do that by both supporting young women athletes who want to become authors and creating content for young girls and young women so that they feel seen in sport. I think visibility, you know, we've seen this with the World Cup in soccer. We've seen it with cycling, with the Tour de France Femmes of X-Wift. Uh, we're seeing it in every, all of these different sports. There's so much power in having media coverage and visibility and the ability to watch other women doing these sports. Um, However, I actually still feel like we're we're missing the younger side of that. And specifically, we're missing, uh, you know, the ability for young girls to see themselves as, you know, actual young girls playing these sports. Um, and specifically for me, I've always found that reading is so much more important to me than movies or TV or, you know, live anything like I books have always been my thing. Bookworm from day one. 
Uh, so to me, writing books about girls in sport is just so important because that's, I think, what would have gotten a bookworm like me onto the playing field when I was a kid. So started Strong Girl Publishing. Uh, my series, The Shred Girls, that was for middle grade girls, uh, all basically babysitters club, but with bikes, not babysitting. Uh, so that's com- that com- came under the Strong Girl Publishing umbrella. Uh, I signed my first couple of authors, uh, Rachel Pajot. Uh, did her first best day ever planner with us back in uh, early July. And then we're actually going to have her 2024 planner coming out in around November, uh, which is very exciting. So if you're looking for some fun new notebooks and planners, highly, highly recommend those. Um, And I am so excited. Uh, We have our first author putting out her beautiful hardcover book of poetry in defense of big dreams. Uh, That's Mackenzie Maya. We're actually going to have her on the podcast in two weeks talking about the book writing process and what it's been like. And she's been doing such a great job on the like local PR side of things. Oh my gosh, it's been awesome. She's been featured on so many local news stations talking about the book, which is so exciting. Uh, We have a lot of really fun plans with it. And it's just been really cool to help this young woman cyclist, uh, you know, make this dream a reality and, you know, really see her run with it. Um, Because even if you get published by a big publishing company, as Ellie Blue and I talked about in the Microcosm Publishing episode a few weeks ago, Uh, No one is going to show up and market for you as well as you can market for yourself. Uh, So it's been really great to see her take the reins and really lean into that. Uh, And then I actually have my first book coming out with Strong Girl Publishing or first book that's coming out as Strong Girl Publishing called shocker here, The Strong Girl. And it's my first historical fiction uh, set in the 1870s, loosely based on this amazing Canadian cyclist, Louise Armando, although it is not about her cycling career. It is about her career before she got on the bike, which was, drum roll, she was a strong girl and trapeze artist in a circus that she ran away to when she was a teenager. Like, mind just blown. So this is sort of a reimagining of what it would look like in the 1870s to run away and join a circus. And of course, there's some heists involved. Uh, and it's a great, you know, friendship and strong girl. And uh, it's it's a really fun book. I'm really, really proud of it. Um, super jazzed on that. That's going to come out soon. So I have been, oh my gosh, a PR machine on it. Um, on that, on Mackenzie's book, on Strong Girl Publishing. Um, I really just want to spread the word because I really want this to work for the young women that I'm working with. I mean, to me, being able to hand any of my authors a check for you know the work that they've done, the books that they're selling, um, to be able to hand them like a hefty check that's going to actually like help them get through a season, get through next season, like that's That's such a huge thing. That's such a responsibility. It's something I take really, really seriously. Um, I am not a major PR person, especially when it comes to my own stuff. Uh, So it has been helpful having authors that I'm trying to promote, but at the same time, it still is my business um, and it still does feel kind of awkward. So I am trying to get around that. Definitely hiring someone to do a little bit of PR stuff is, is on my radar eventually, but I... I believe, and I think I've talked about this on here before, probably with several different guests that we've had on here, a lot of actually the product-based people we've had on lately. Uh, That's something we've touched on a bit. And that is, I think it's so helpful at the beginning of things to do things yourself. 
Um, I think at some point, yes, you definitely want to have a team. You want to bring people that can do things better than you, people who are smarter than you at different things. I think it's so important to have them, but I think you're by, by far and away going to be in such better shape if you understand how to do everything yourself, or at least you have a sense of how everything works for yourself. Um, because I think if you just hire a PR person right out of the gate and you haven't had to try to write a press release and send it to the appropriate people and see how it lands with different outlets and stuff like that, like see what you can do. I think it's really hard to gauge success with a PR firm. Um, you know, I think learning about supply chain and how, you know, to source products and how to, you know, handle shipments the best and, you know, figuring that stuff out. I think that's really good to know for yourself. So you're not going to get hit with all these random costs that you didn't really have to. You kind of know how the game is played, uh, you know, and obviously no one likes accounting. Well, okay. If you're an accountant and you're listening to this, I'm very sorry. I don't like accounting, hate bookkeeping, uh, but I'm trying to figure it out and like, make sure that I'm doing it right. I've been doing it obviously for my own business for a long time, but doing it for, you know, a business where I'm actually going to be paying authors is a little bit more intense. Uh, definitely trying to figure out the profit loss thing when money is actually outgoing is is a big thing. Uh, you know, I've done a bit of self-publishing in the past, but it's always been gravy for me. It hasn't ever been, this is where we're making money. So when the checks come in, that was always like, oh, cool, I've sold some books. Uh, now I actually need to know how many books we're selling and how much profit each book is making. Um, because A, I need to pay out authors. And then B, like, I need to know if this business is working or not. And I don't expect to become a millionaire overnight here or anything, but I do need to know how it's going. So I need to actually be paying very close attention to that in a way that I never have before. So that's definitely been interesting. Uh, and, you know, the last thing is uh, the upfront costs are pretty scary. And I've talked about how I'm doing this right now. I'm running it as print on demand for the most part. Um, because I, I do think I just want to make sure that this whole thing works before I get into, okay, we're going to, you know, go to a big printer and be doing 5,000 copies of books right off the bat. And I'm going to be sending them out. Like that's a lot of extra stuff. Uh, and if you're listening to this from Canada, you also know that Canadian shipping is wildly expensive. So doing your own distribution is a huge thing. So at the moment, print on demand, most cost-effective way I can do this. Um, but there are still upfront costs, uh, you know, with the authors, they are getting books. Um, we did a pre-order for In Defense of Big Dreams. So there is actually like a pretty hefty amount of upfront costs on that because, you know, getting the books, not cheap. Uh, I wanted to have extra so we can put them into uh, book, you know, get them on bookshelves at local bike shops, especially out in Mackenzie's hometown in Nova Scotia. Uh, you know, we're doing some merch with all the books and the merch is so cute, everybody. Definitely go check it out at stronggirlpublishing.com. I'm really excited about it. Uh, but again, you know, to make sure that we're getting great images of the merch, to make sure it all like looks really good in person and to, you know, just give the authors a little bit of something, uh, I am actually, you know, paying to get the merch sent. And that doesn't sound like a lot, but it does all add up. Plus there's all the costs of, you know, the back end, you know, keeping a website running, all of that jazz. It's not free. Um, the software to put books up is actually prohibitively expensive for the, the best one that's going to make it the easiest to do. Um, so there's definitely a lot of costs that come with even a business where you're mostly doing print on demand or fulfillment on demand. Uh, so 
it's pretty wild. And I think if I didn't have, you know, some money in savings that was like earmarked for this project, I would be in for a very rude awakening about now because, uh, you know, I think this is a problem a lot of us business people have, especially when you're thinking about a business like, you know, say coaching, for example, where you don't really think of it as something where there's going to be a ton of upfront costs. But I think probably the advice that I'm realizing now is you probably want to have at least a couple thousand dollars uh, earmarked for your business if you want to make a go of it. Because even coaching, you know, you're talking about a website, you're talking about, you know, probably getting a logo, getting some merch, you know, setting up a newsletter. Like there's a lot of things that cost a little bit of money at a time. Um, But if you're kind of unaware of that as you get into it, uh, it can be a pretty just gaspy, like, oh, that hurts kind of moment uh, if you weren't expecting it. So I think that's been a really big learning curve for me is just figuring out, oh, okay, these are upfront costs. It's okay. I don't need to panic about this yet. Uh, I don't expect this company to be, you know, in the black this year, I'll be honest. Like, it'd be great if we come out slightly on top. Um But at the moment, like most businesses, I'm not expecting to turn a huge profit in our first year, especially considering we're hitting October with our first books coming out, uh, other than obviously the Shred Girl series, but that's been out for a long time. So those, you know, the sales are slower, although it is a nice steady drip, thankfully. Thank you, anyone who's bought one recently. I very much appreciate it. Um, Anyway, things are going great. I'm very excited. I'm really hoping I'm going to have some big news on that front in a couple weeks here. I'm talking to potentially a new author about a big new project we could do. So fingers crossed. Um, And otherwise, I am just trucking on all different things, trying to get, you know, interviews for this show. We have so many coming up. I'm really jazzed on October. We have a lot of really cool conversations happening. Um, Same with my other podcast, The Consummate Athlete. Tons of interviews lined up for October because we're trying to get way ahead for the holiday season. Uh, I'm also trying to get ahead for the holiday season with Strong Girl Publishing stuff. Oh my gosh, just so much to do. Thankfully, my Todoist is feeling a little less frazzled, so I am a little less stressy about it. Um, and again, highly recommend any kind, like any kind of task keeper is important. I love Todoist; I think it's fantastic. Um, but I am just, you know, being constantly reminded that I cannot be run by my to-do list. I have to run my to-do list. So that's where I'm at. Um, we, uh, yeah, that's all for today. Uh, definitely hit me up over on Instagram. I'm at Molly J. Herford. We are at business.of.fitness. Check out all of the stuff Feisty is doing. Oh my gosh, with the Iron Man coming up. Eee! It is some amazing content. Please follow all of their different handles. Um, subscribe, rate, review this podcast. Let me know who you want to hear from. Let me know if you have any questions for me or any guest. Um, I would just love to hear from you. So definitely hit me up. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in and I will see you back here in two weeks. Thanks. Thanks so much for tuning into the Business of Fitness podcast. Hopefully you got a lot from this episode and hopefully it's going to help you with your business in the fitness industry. Make sure you're following along with me over at at Molly J. Herford and at business.of.fitness over on Instagram. Keep up with Feisty over at livefeisty.com for tons of fun stuff. And of course, if you like this podcast, make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode and leave us a rating and review. Thanks so much, and we'll see you soon.